The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is Paul Durrell. He is the founder, president, and owner of Leopold Gallery and Art Consulting. He also is in our 25 Under 25 class of 2016 this year. We just had the big gala and celebration to honor that class. And he's here today to talk with us about his business and what drives him as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the show today, Paul. Thanks so much, Kelly. Thanks for having me on. Well, and again, congratulations on the 25 Under 25 award. And uh, let's talk about how you got started in your business. What, what led to that? What drove me to open an art gallery this yes. size in Kansas City? Yes. A sheer naivety and idealism, a combination of those two. Uh, but let's back up a second. I grew up in Kansas City. I went to KU. When I left college, I worked on a fishing boat in Alaska for a while. and then a, Cool. Yeah, it was interesting. Good way to get killed if you're not careful. <laughs> um, a horse ranch in California. I attended bar in Key West and all those kinds of things. I roamed all around the country, mostly by motorcycle, for a couple of years. Finally, I decided I was ready to settle down, so I took a job as assistant director of a museum of French Impressionism in Connecticut near Yale, Mm -hmm. and I worked there for three years. But the museum business just didn't juice me the way the actual art world did, even though I'm a big fan of Monet, Manet, Degas, and so forth, and they had masterpieces by all those artists and many more. Um, Eventually, I decided in the late 80s that I wanted to move home back to Kansas City and open a gallery representing only Missouri and Kansas artists, which was kind of unheard of at the time. Yes, it was. Um, my New York friends thought I was out of my freaking mind. Why would I want to move <laughs> back here? And uh, why would I want to commit financial suicide? Because they were confident there wasn't talent here and there weren't collectors. So what was the point? Mm-hmm. But I disagreed. I thought Kansas City was approaching a renaissance, which we're currently going through. And I wanted to participate in, in aspects of it. So... Uh, we opened the gallery in 91. Uh, the first space was in Lawrence, and after that we moved to Kansas City in 94 and never looked back. And uh, it's, the first years were incredibly challenging, like almost all small businesses. But once regional collectors got the bug of being involved with Kansas and Missouri artists who were exceptionally talented, I'm not talking about amateurs, of course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people would really uh, pay their dues, their blood, sweat, and tears, and were exceptional at what they did, blown glass, oil paintings, uh, stainless steel sculpture, bronze sculpture. Um, They really took pride in participating and buying work by people from Kansas and Missouri, so much so that 25 years later, I have clients that almost exclusively buy work by Kansas and Missouri artists and rarely consider artists from other parts of the country. So that's Mm -hmm. how much has changed. Sure. And when you talked about challenges of opening a business, you really, besides the normal challenges of starting a business, you were on the forefront of what you now call the renaissance because back in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, the crossroads isn't what it is today. And it was people like you who came in and, and put down your roots and were responsible for revitalizing that area. So you had all those challenges too. 
enormous challenges. <clears throat> At that time, the crossroads was basically a collection of warehouses mm-hmm. and uh, backroom bars and dives. And uh, one of the first people to really put down roots in the crossroads was Jim Leedy, who opened the Leedy Volcus Arts Center, which mm-hmm. is still there. And that served as kind of a, um, a headquarters for crossroads growth informally for a while. And then he bought other buildings, and he rented a space to uh, artists quite cheaply so they could have studios in what was then just a warehouse district in Midtown. wasn't yet called the Crossroads. And Jim started doing that late 70s, early 80s. And by the time I came along and we began picking up steam in the mid-90s, the Crossroads began to go places slowly, but it was mm-hmm. very slowly. And then finally it took off and exploded. But uh, sure, I've represented artists from throughout the crossroads. You have the studios there, though they may live in Roland Park, or they may live in Prairie Village, or they may live in Lee Summit. And to this day, I still represent artists that have their studios in the crossroads, and yeah. it's a fantastic place to be. What do you think was the turning point in getting some of the collectors here in Kansas City to take a look at Kansas City artists? What made them change their mind of, you know, to go into Chicago or other places they may have been looking? Um. I think you can normally see watershed moments historically once you have enough time to look back at, a, at an event and mm-hmm. assess it, which often can take 10 or 20 years. I don't think there was any one event. It was a series of events, but the Overland Park Convention Center hired me in '01 to oversee the art collection, and that is only Kansas and Missouri artists. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of this tendency, and which is now just a common practice for us, but really it has been since the beginning. And uh, that was followed up by H&R Block, who hired me in 05 to oversee their vast collection. Once again, only Kansas and Missouri artists. And then that was followed up by a series of other office buildings and structures, Kauffman Stadium, Arrowhead Stadium, uh, BKD, and various law firms around the area, various financial practices, wealth advisors. Until finally now, all these years later, if you renovate or open a new office without involving regional artists in some fashion, you're generally considered to not be with it, (laughs) to not be participating. And I don't mind telling you that was the psychology we had a little bit of a participation in creating. Mm -hmm. Well, I bet. And it it sounds a little bit like there was a lot of behind-the-scenes talking and meeting going on and persuasion, and then once some of the art started appearing in public places it caught on and other people started viewing it and where'd you get that and who did that that's right it just kind of snowballed from there that was our hope um Mm -hmm. because i don't just work with artists from my gallery and my gallery as you know isn't in the crossroads it's in brookside Mm -hmm. at 63rd and mornell Mm -hmm. but we work with artists throughout the area but when i do a massive project like arrowhead stadium rage in our block i use artists from all sorts of galleries i use artists who aren't represented yet uh, but perhaps should be as well as artists from my own gallery. And it, it, it shares the love, it spreads the wealth, so that when people make those inquiries um, at the OPCC or at Arrowhead or H&R Block, we can direct the, the person making the inquiry to whatever gallery might be carrying the artist's work. But of course, it's, it's so much more complex than just putting cool art in these buildings. My mission for 25 years has been building regional culture. That really precedes everything else. Mm-hmm. When I moved back to Kansas City in the late 80s, it was considered a cultural backwater by all the other major cities. And believe me, I've been to all of them. And uh, there was some truth in that at the time. Our symphony was on the verge of going broke, which Crosby Kemper kind of single-handedly rescued. You cannot let your symphony go broke. You can't let your museums be poorly attended, let alone uh, you can't allow them to not expand. Now Kansas City is doing all those things and so many more, uh, as well as building new museums, of course, the Nerman. In the late 80s, we didn't have that going on. Now there is a fascination with and a 
pride in developing regional culture, whether the people doing it necessarily have a, a huge background in art or music or literature doesn't matter. They want to participate. And this is especially the business community. Without the business community participating, we wouldn't have this renaissance. Yes. So the artists of Kansas City owe them a huge vote of thanks, and so do I. Well, and the Performing Arts Center that's being built. What I what I like seeing is the movement that art is for the people. You know, taking the snobbery out of it that right. so often accompanies it. That's right. I remember when the Performing Arts Center was being built, for example, they wanted children to be able to come in there and see performances. And you have the same approach to your uh, the art you represent as well. Right. Take yeah. the snobbery out. Mm-hmm. It's all about fun. Yeah. It's, it's have a, a great community. time. I can't tell you how frequently people from Leewood or Parkville or Shawnee will have me to their house. And at first they're a little intimidated because I'm an art consultant and they're afraid I'm going to take a highfalutin approach. Mm-hmm. Man, that just doesn't work. And, and they're concerned because their background might be in sales or retail or management or branding and they don't have a background in liberal arts. Who cares? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. They just have to know what they like and what inspires them, and I always help them find that. We do that with several clients a week. Well, that was going to be my next question, is for somebody who invites you in, whether it's a business or whether it's an individual in their home, and they really don't have that kind of a background and maybe that eye for, right. for you know, technique that's being used in the piece or whatever, how, how do you advise them as to what they should select? Um, I listen carefully. I watch what inspires them. I I almost always begin by showing them a PowerPoint on my laptop or from an office. It'll be on a big flat screen. And I just carefully watch the people around the room and and listen to remarks and how they respond to pieces. That tells me what they're passionate about. And then you just follow that lead from there. Mm -hmm. And over time, you can teach all clients to develop an eye. It isn't that difficult. And when you're you're creating a huge collection, as we did for Chiefs or H&R Block or so many others, one of the most important roles with an art committee is sometimes you have to jury in pieces you don't like. Because just because you don't personally like a piece doesn't mean it doesn't have merit and doesn't belong in the collection. Mm-hmm. Now, with a private collector, it's completely different. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have private collectors <laughs> buy pieces or commission pieces they don't like. They have to love the piece. Absolutely. And liking it is not enough. They right. have to love it. It has to be true passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, if that's a piece that's already in existence in the gallery, great. They acquire it and we install it for them. But half the time, it's a piece they commission because maybe they fall in love with an artist's work, but the painting or the sculpture isn't the right size. It's not the scene they're looking for or whatever the situation might Mm -hmm. be. So they commission it, and we do that constantly. We're getting ready to do all the art for St. Luke's South uh, New Art Collection, and we'll be beginning that next month in April. And uh, almost all those pieces will be site-specific commission pieces. And it's going to celebrate... Uh, the hospital, the region, but especially the culture of the region. And doing hospital art is different from doing works in stadiums. And stadiums, you're there to, to juice people, you right. know, to energize them, to uh, maybe uh, put in some pieces that are thought-provoking. And, and being provocative is good if it's done in the right way. Man, you don't do that in a hospital. <laughs> it's got to be soft. It's yeah, got to be exactly. warm. It's got to be soothing <laughs> without being sentimental or shallow or right. poorly executed. It's got to be... Uh, bright and colorful because mm-hmm. you've got people dealing with trauma there, especially people visiting the hospital where someone's been injured or is undergoing serious surgery. And the minute they walk in the door, you want the art soothing them, not provoking them. Exactly. So two different missions. Exactly. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about the business model behind Leopold Gallery and Art Consulting, how it shifted uh, to put Paul on the trajectory that he's on now with the business. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business? 
Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, and, of course, companionship. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive, and now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance will come in with this group. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Satchmo is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt. Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Paul Durrell, who is the founder of Leopold Gallery and Art Consulting. And let's go back a bit, Paul, to when you first got started and you were uh, pursuing a business model. And then you realized that wasn't going to take you where you needed to go. What was the turning point in making you realize you had to go in a different direction? Um, That infamous fire that we went through at the Savoy Grill in 1997. In fact, it was in March of 1997. So that was 19 years ago about now. Exactly. And I was about to toss in the towel because the way I'd structured the gallery in the beginning, we opened in the Hotel Savoy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a, a big a gallery space that faced 9th Street, and uh, people with an expendable income came to dine there uh, every night. You know, the restaurant's closed now, but it was very popular right. still in the 90s, as it had been for 100 years. Yeah, I loved it. It was a great place. Mm-hmm. And so I met a lot of new clients there who were clients to this day still, all these years later. Uh, but the traditional model for a gallery where you hang art on the walls and hope people come in and buy at your shows and so forth, it just doesn't really work that well. Not only in Kansas City, it doesn't work that well in San Francisco. It doesn't work that well in New York. Yeah, anywhere. Uh, yeah, that's all a myth. It, doesn't, it just doesn't fly. Uh, Peggy Guggenheim started her first gallery with that, that tradition, but you know, she was a Guggenheim, pretty deep pocket. She could underwrite losses. Yes. We didn't really have that option. So I was beginning to wonder, should I get out of this business and just do something else? Um, I didn't want to, but that was on my mind. When there was a fire at the, at the gallery one night, actually at the hotel, um, somebody carelessly left a cigarette smolding in a bunch of napkins, and the fire burst out, and it didn't get into our space, but the water damage and the smoke damage mm-hmm. sure did. And when I got the phone call from the hotel that I better get down there and check things out because they had a problem, and there was water gushing in the background and all these people shouting. Worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I knew we had a problem. And I got down there, and lo and behold, the firemen, the firewomen had carried all the paintings out and carefully set them on blankets out on the sidewalk so that the damage was minimized. 
Um, we were so broke, I had had to cancel the insurance for the space just a few <laughs> no. months before. Lucky you. <laughs> yeah, that's called timing. And oh, uh, thinking it, I would make the money up later and we would work it all out. Well, so we didn't collect the insurance bill, which would have been a tidy sum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, I announced to the media that we were going to rebuild and move on. And this is partly my own naivety for, for the reason things happen this way. Uh, I have a background in, in the arts as well, mainly literature. And sometimes I take the approach of an artist more than the approach of a businessman, although over the years I've learned to do both. Because frankly, you have to do both in the yeah. art world and in the movie world for that mm-hmm. matter. So uh, we had a fire sale and we announced it to the media. And all my friends said, man, you can't have a fire sale. Can't everybody have fire sales? I said, sure we can. We're going to have a fire sale. We had a fire sale. We sold a ton of art for what would have amounted to the same as the insurance payoff. Was this the art that was in the gallery? Yeah, the it time? just wasn't. Okay. Very, very little was damaged. Okay. And what little was smoke damaged, we were able to clean. Mm-hmm. So we moved almost all the art that was in the gallery and then found a new space in Crestwood uh, near Oxwall mm-hmm. and uh, started over. And this time I determined to start over with a different business model that was consistently approaching the corporate world and landing commissions with the corporate world, Mm -hmm. as well as in the world of figurative sculpture. And the first contract we landed right out of the box was the National D-Day Memorial in Virginia near Washington. And the contract was for 1.2 million in bronze sculptures or monuments, if you will. And uh, never looked back. Yeah, nice way to start a new business model. Uh, I liked it. <laughs> sure worked well like for that. us. Absolutely. That's how we met yeah. Steven Spielberg was on that project. You, how did you meet Steven Spielberg on that at, project? At the time, he was working on Private Ryan. Oh, okay. And the D-Day Memorial, they were approaching sure. people all over the country mm-hmm. to, to help fund what their, their needs, $4 million project. And uh, no, $11 million, pardon me. And Steven Spielberg kicked in a very tidy sum and loved the monuments we were creating and asked if he could have one of the maquettes or models for the monuments, because you always cast a model in Mm -hmm. bronze of a big piece that you're going to later do. And we said, sure, we'll work it out. And we delivered it to his office, and that was a very interesting day. I would say so. You also have a foundation. That's right. Uh, You you have uh, a deeper interest than just having artwork displayed. You're you're also about children and uh, being able to send them to college. Tell us about that foundation. Yeah, that's real important to me. Um, About, let's see, 2006, I began to notice that so many schools in the city that were targeted as art magnet schools, uh, the word began to get to me that there were art magnet schools in name, but not always in terms of funding. Yep. And um, I decided to reach out to a couple of these schools. One was Paseo Academy on the Missouri side, then Sumner Academy in Kansas City, Kansas. And I talked to the teachers and the, and the administrators in charge, and sure enough, they're woefully underfunded. Where a suburban school might get $15,000 per year for each art department in a high school, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, these schools were getting around 1800 a year. And I found this, um, I found it disgraceful. Because there's plenty of wealth in Kansas City to, to take care of this problem, but the way things are structured, it's not getting done, unfortunately. And I can't change the system, but I can change how these schools are funded. So we decided from the get-go that we were going to take kids from each of these two schools. I have only got time to handle two schools. Yeah, you're one person. Yeah, one person with my staff and a few volunteers. We were going to take kids from each of these schools on really instructive field trips every year with professional artists. And I mean to the Flint Hills, the K-State, MU, KU, 
Emporia State, um, even to the mining country in northeast Oklahoma or the northern hills of the Ozarks, mm-hmm. all kinds of places these kids have never been before. You know, they live in the inner city. But not only that, we were going to raise a minimum of 10000 a year for each school to underwrite their needs for books and art supplies and laptops and kilns and things like that. And uh, on top of that, offer an educational uh, scholarship, a foundation scholarship. So working with the Greater Kansas City Community Foundation, that's who we open our account with. And once you do that and they scrutinize you closely, then uh, you begin to get serious contributions and things can go really well. And you've been doing this for how long now? Um, 11 years. 11 years. So you've touched a lot of kids' lives, opened their eyes to possibilities they probably would have never had the chance to see. I'd like to think we have. Uh, We've taken just over 1,000 kids on field trips. Somebody crunched the numbers for me recently Mm -hmm. and have helped dozens get into college who otherwise wouldn't have gone. It it might be more than that. I mean, we give inspirational and motivational talks a lot, and we're very real with them about the the uh, problem of borrowing money and getting deeply into college debt. Um, I mean, we're, we're, we're fierce about that one because you sh- mm-hmm. just can't do it. They have other options that they explore them, and we make sure they do. So the teachers tell me it's an extremely effective program, and ever since we began working on this, uh, my volunteers and myself, that enrollment in college has, has shot up significantly. Now, getting them in college is one thing. Keeping them there is another. Yeah. And I'm not around to do that part. I'm just hoping the administrators are able to help with that because that's a tough one also. You've also written a book, uh, Living the Artist's Life. Why did you write that book? Um, simple. I want to put the gallery more on the map. <laughs> <laughs> what better reason? <laughs> yeah. I figured the book that I write, they would have that effect. But there was a second reason. I noticed as I spoke with more and more young artists that uh, universities who are trying to teach about career guidance, which almost was never done in prior decades, it is done somewhat now really struggled teaching um, artists how to develop a career successfully. What are the steps you take? Where do you begin? How do you approach a gallery? When do you approach a gallery? How many galleries should you be in? How do you price mm-hmm. your work? How do you know that you're creating work that is going to endure over the decades, if not the centuries? Um, how do you scale your work for big commissions? How do you write a contract? And so forth. And how do you have fun with all this? And how do you keep it from driving you crazy? Because it should be fun. If it's not fun, you shouldn't yeah. be doing it. So I, I, I saw a real need for the book. And that's why I wrote it. So it it wound up being adopted by close to 100 universities. And uh, I was sent on a book tour. Actually, there were two, two, uh, the first edition and second edition. Cumulatively, through the two book tours, I guess I spoke at about 60 cities. Mm -hmm. You know, places like major bookstores in San Francisco and and the Art Students Students League of New York, Rhode Island School of Design. I've been very fortunate. So the book's done well. Yeah, so practical advice, a little bit of tough love maybe for some uh, artists who, who don't uh, aren't looking at things realistically perhaps. You yeah, tell I'm pretty them, straight tell up. Tell them how it that. is. Yeah, exactly. Where do you see the Kansas City arts community going, and how do you see Leopold playing a role in it? Well, I'd say we're at the height of our renaissance now. Are we at the apex? Only, only time will tell. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I doubt it. I think uh, Kansas City's in a similar place to where Seattle was in the 80s and is, is growing in, in all areas of the arts. And more people are moving here because it's so affordable. We don't have the oceans and we don't have the mountains, but we've got a wonderful city full of friendly people who support the arts. There's abundant wealth here. And I think the Renaissance is going to keep expanding for quite some time. And we're going to be playing a role in it for, for every step of the way. And if somebody would like to come in and see your gallery, it's of course, it's there in Brookside. Give us the address again. Yeah, 63rd and Warnell. We're easy to find. Yeah. Uh, out, out front, there are uh, probably 60 huge kinetic sculptures spinning. Those are works by Lyman Whitaker. 
mm-hmm. what he calls wind sculptures. And uh, then inside you'll find incredible work. I mean, Barnett Helsberg commissioned a huge piece recently, uh, the Hunt's own work that they acquired from our gallery. Henry Block, it's a long list of collectors. We've been very, very fortunate. Yeah, well, congratulations again on the award this past month, Paul, and uh, much success, and thank you for all you do for the Kansas City community. Thanks so much, Kelly. I appreciate it. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.